Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Wild Voices Project podcast. I hope you're doing well. And today we're trying out something a little bit different from the norm, which I hope you're going to enjoy. Today you're going to hear an episode of the podcast recorded by our new roving reporter, Kate Snowden, or as she's otherwise known, Kate on Conservation. Kate's going to be presenting a few of the episodes uh, from time to time, perhaps some more to come in the future, we'll see. Um, And this one today is with Jane Goodall, the renowned, worldwide, legendary conservationist. I'll let Kate introduce the episode for herself, which she does beautifully in a moment. And if you want to find out more about Kate or follow her work, then you can find her on Twitter, at Kate Conservation which, take note, is spelt K-A-T-E-C-O-N-S-R-V-A-T-I-O-N, so it's missing an E there. Or you can visit her blog and website, which is Kate on Conservation, spelt how you might imagine it, K-A-T-E-O-N-C-O-N-S-E-R-V-A-T-I-O-N dot com. Uh, and Kate's a writer, blogger, and interviewer, as you'll hear, an animal lover, and she works for Nat Geo Kids, and she's a trustee of the Born Free Foundation. Um, I think that's pretty much all I need to say. Just a reminder that the Wild Voices Project podcast is part of Wild Voices Media, which is an international project bridging emerging storytellers and aspiring conservationists. And you can follow the Wild Voices Project podcast on Twitter, at Wild Voices Proj, or visit our website, wildvoicesproject.org, uh, and find us on SoundCloud as well, and you can subscribe in iTunes and Stitcher to the podcast, and you can find out more about the global project at wild-voices.org. But I think without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Kate. Hi, this is Kate Snowden, or you may know me better as Kate on Conservation. I'd like to share with you today my interview with Dr Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall is best known perhaps for her work studying chimps in Gombe, which she did under National Geographic predominantly in the 1960s. Um, Her work was so significant because she actually was the first person to observe chimps in the wild using tools, which completely redefined the way that we saw chimps and actually saw humans in relation to chimpanzees. So I was lucky enough to talk to Jane for this interview about her time studying the chimps in Gombe, um, but also about Roots and Shoots, which is a project which is a a major, actually a major part of Jane Goodall's life now, um, which basically sees her working with groups in education, predominantly school groups, but also some universities across the globe in actually over 100 different countries to put together programs and ideas and projects related to three strands, which are environment, people, and wildlife. And I was lucky enough to talk to her at the Roots and Shoots Global Summit in 2017, which sees 30 ambassadors from Roots and Shoots from 30 different countries come together to share their ideas and to formulate projects together to collaborate on. going forward and they present these wonderful ideas and wonderful projects at the summit which I was lucky enough to see and then to interview Jane. Um, I hope you enjoy having listened to what it is we chatted about and learning more about Roots and Shoots.
should be should be on a board. Okay. So obviously roots and shoots are familiar to some extent with it. Um, obviously the projects that the children do and things. But what was the the inspiration behind starting it? Because uh, first of all, I was learning all about the problems facing the planet. And as I was travelling around raising awareness about the chimps and the problems in Africa, I was meeting so many young people who were either depressed or angry or mostly just apathetic. And when I talked to them, they more or less said the same thing. We feel this way because you've compromised our future and there's nothing we can do about it. Hmm. And, of course, we have compromised their future. And it's a hard I thing to hear. But I think there's something that we can do. So it all began with 12 secondary school students in Dar es Salaam from nine schools in 1991. And they wanted me to fix all the problems that were around. And I said, no, I can't. I'm not Tanzania, but go and get your friends who feel the same. We'll have a meeting. And from that, the program was born with, with its main message. Every individual matters, has a role to play makes a difference every day and from the beginning we decided or I suppose I did that because everything in this life is interconnected we would do three kinds of projects to help people to help animals to help the, the environment but that it would be youth driven and they would choose they would choose the projects uh, that was that were relevant to where they lived not something we would top down, tell them what to do. Yeah. So uh, it's now in a hundred countries. We just got the hundredth country oh, two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's probably, it's got at least a hundred thousand active groups of all ages, preschool, yeah. few, kindergarten lots, university, many, many, everything in between, even some adult groups, but it's mostly for youth. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said it started with the um, secondary school. Um, I feel like there's a bit of um, assumption now, perhaps, that uh, secondary teenagers are apathetic. So it's really nice to hear that it started with secondary. They're apathetic because they feel helpless and hopeless and lost. So it's sort of getting early and, and changing that mentality early is really important. And do you still find secondary schools are quite involved now? Oh, I, I, that's my key, my target audience, because you get them just before they go away. Yeah. Okay, some will Great. go to university, yeah. but an awful lot won't. Great. So it's the last chance to actually catch them while they're in one place. Fabulous, yeah. That, you know, it's, like I say, the perfect age, really, to, to make the difference. Um, so you said the, the projects are focused, um, the, the you young people choose it themselves what they want to do. Yeah. How do their projects differ country to country across the globe? Depends on, you know, in some places they live near the ocean, mm. so they tend to do projects like, you know, they're especially worried about plastic bags, or, they, or maybe they want to help turtles <coughs> guard the nesting sites and, you know, encourage the watch while the little ones go back into the ocean when the eggs hatch. Yeah. Sometimes there are groups living in the Amazonian jungle and then they'll do something perhaps to help the <coughs> whatever kind of endangered primate is there. Everywhere they're doing tree planting. Great. And yeah, I mean, I saw quite a lot Everywhere of they're collecting garbage, trying to clean up the world. Uh, and then 
it really just depends. Like in Asia, there's a lot of concern about the palm oil plantations. Of course. But that's spilled across because we need to find out which products have palm oil in them so that we can avoid them. Mm. And so in order for that to happen, you have to persuade the government to enforce labelling. So there's huge projects in America and Australia to get the government to insist that products have labels saying what's in them. Great. And they're, they're able to do that through Rich and sort of campaigns? Rich and Shoot campaigns, yeah. <coughs> Fabulous. Collecting up cell phones so that the minerals can be extracted to try and save the habitat of the gorillas in eastern Congo because that's coal town. And if you, <coughs> if you collect up old cell phones that otherwise would be thrown away, there are now places that will gather them all up and they'll extract the coal tan. Well, I didn't actually even know that yeah. that happened. Yeah. And at the moment, not only is gorilla habitat being destroyed by the coal tan mining, but children are forced down into these incredibly dangerous mines, Gosh. which are just tunneled down into the ground, and then the kids are made to tunnel underneath, so at any moment they can be buried. Oh, and then they clean the minerals mm. they find in the river, which is polluting and killing all the fish. So collecting up cell phones is a project we've had in Australia, in uh, parts of the US, UK, I think we're doing it. Spain, very big one, and started in Spain. Right. Wow. <laughs> I said that's a, a whole new area for me to kind of research and get to know about, really. Um, so are there any specific um, goals or aims for Roots and Shoots in the coming year? I know you've said you've just got the hundred. Just on, going on growing yeah. and also working on global campaigns so that the kids can feel really involved with each other. And something like the cell phones is definitely something that's a, a global campaign. Planting trees can be a global oh. campaign. Is is there a way they can sort of network with each other or interact? They with network people? on yeah. social media. Social media, yeah, great. We've got websites now and all these things that you have Thank these you. days. <laughs> you know, keep them. in touch. Yeah. Great. And then, what is your favourite part? What's been your favourite part, or is your favourite part of, of being Roots involved with the programme? Roots and shoots. Yeah. The enthusiasm and energy of young people once they know the problems, and you empower them to take action. Yeah. Yeah. Something brilliant to witness, I'm sure. And, you know, they, they're just on their imaginative and they're, they're, filled with, they're filled with energy and they're so excited about what they do, especially 8, 9, 10. Yeah. yeah. And then when they get older and then more responsible, uh, they know how difficult it is. Mm. Whereas the 8, 9-year-olds, we're planting trees and saving the world. <laughs> and when you get to 17, you know it's a bit more than that, but... Yeah, there's a time where you can feel like a superhero. <laughs> um, and I guess, I guess broader, sort of thinking out broader for, for things for our readers, um, what's been your favourite part of, you know, I've, I've, I've put what's been your favourite part of working with or observing chimpanzees, but I mean, I suppose any part of your your career, or, you know, I suppose it's more, it's more like a lifestyle <laughs> than a career, what's, what, what's the most rewarding for you? Well, um, you know, the most rewarding now is seeing Roots and Shoots grow and being inspired by all these young people. The most that 
probably the two things that I feel have made the most difference. One is starting Roots and Shoots. Yeah. It's clearly making a difference. Yeah, and two is helping people understand, thanks to the chimps, that we're part of and not separated from the rest of the animal kingdom. Which and it was because chimps are so yeah. like us uh, biologically. And then as I was able to show, you know, when I began, there was nobody else studying them in the wild. So uh, to show how like us they are in behavior, kissing, embracing, holding hands, patting one another in reassurance, begging for food. Sadly, they are capable of a kind of war that can be violent and aggressive, but they also show love, compassion, and altruism. I suppose even the you know what the violence they can show, and that makes them all the more similar to us as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all part of being similar to us. Yeah. And who who was your favorite chimp? Or is your favorite oh, chimp David, of all time? David Gradier, the first one who lost his fear, the one who demonstrated tool using and tool-making for the first time, um, the first one who allowed me to follow him in the forest. Yeah. He was also very handsome, and he had a, a gentle but determined disposition. Yeah. Yeah. And um, was it maybe is it because he was the first that, that you sort of maybe felt the closest no, connection? No, he was, was a very wonderful personality. Yeah. I think he'd have become a favourite anyway. The other one was... Yeah. The old female Flo, yeah. this amazing mother with her big family. Great. Oh, that sounds such a wonderful thing to have the opportunity to see. Um, do you have, for, for our readers, do you have any favourite or funny animal stories or anecdotes and encounters? Oh, so many. Oh, I imagine. <laughs> you know, big question. <laughs> well, one funny one was uh, eight-year-old Freud and the chimps not only fish for termites with tools, but they prepare long, smooth sticks. They peel off all the bark so it's smooth. They put them down into these nests of army ants, driver ants, right. and they, they'll dig like this, and then they'll push the stick down and, and tap it, and the ants come in like a swarming mass, and they bite like crazy. <laughs> so the chimp will go like this, and then sweep it through, eat as fast as possible before they bite. Oh, and usually five minutes max before they run away because they're already covered with ants. <laughs> and so Freud thought he'd got it made. He found a vine between two trees, and the nest was underneath, so he could, with impunity, reach down and sweep, and there were no ants climbing up to bite his feet. But of course, the vine broke. He landed right in the middle of the nest. Oh no! <laughs> yes, that's, that's one funny story. Yeah. Where, whereabouts? Where, where did that happen? In Gombe. In Gombe. Yeah. And then probably the most charming was when uh, his mother died, and little Mel was left an orphan, age three, and just beginning to eat solids, just at an age when he could theoretically survive without his mother because they have a long, suckling, long childhood. And he, he didn't have an older brother or sister. If he had, he would have been adopted, because that's what they do. And to our amazement, a 12-year-old, unrelated adolescent male adopted him, carried him round on his back, well, rescued him from difficult situations, reached out and drew him into his nest at night, shared yeah. his food, 
saved his life. And is that something that had been seen online well, before? Well, there have been others as well, but yeah. that was the first time, and it was somehow wow. very poignant because um, Spindle had just lost his mother at that time. Yeah. And it was almost like, you know, contact with this little motherless infant helped him to get over his grief. Wow. Mm. That's incredible. Fantastic. Um, so how how would you... His name was Spindle, by the way. Spindle. The adopter was Spindle. Ah, yeah. I assume she said Spindle yeah. lost his mother. So, wow. It's, I mean, it's kind of amazing to and think. And Mel was named for Melvin Belgrovner, geographic president for so long. Right, of yes. course. Yes. Yeah, I just think it's wonderful to think about the idea that, you know, the, the compassion that they can feel towards one another. And, and mm. also it raises an important part, I think, about grief and, mm. and mourning and things like that. Yeah, which, well, when I first went yeah. to Cambridge in 1962, because I was told I had to get a PhD and I hadn't yeah. even been to college, I was told I'd done my whole study wrong. I shouldn't talk about the chimps with names. They should have been numbered. That was scientific. And I couldn't talk about their personalities or their minds or their emotions because those were unique to us. But luckily I'd learned from my dog as a child that that was rubbish. Yeah, of course. As, as most children that have a pet learn, I think. Yeah. Um... Well, no, like I say, it's very, for me, it's very, um, you know, poignant to hear about the fact that, you know, helping one another or finding ways to help yourself through grief, you know, it's just quite special to, to, to hear about and to, to know happens, I think. Um, so for me, so what, how would you encourage children to, to think about the impact that they're having. Tell them to join Roots and Shoots. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start asking questions. Depends how old the child is, mm. but uh, I'm going to eat certain kind of food. Okay. Uh, mm. Did it harm the environment when it was made? Did it involve cruelty to animals, like in intensive farms? Mm -hmm. Is it cheap because there was child slave labour? Uh, these are for older children, of course. Yeah. And what do you wear? Same thing. How was it made? Where did it come from? And then think about the effect that all these little choices have. And if you put millions of choices, ethical <coughs> choices together, you move towards a better world. And do you find that um, when the children do start thinking that way, that it spreads to their parents, their family. Yes, they do. I think that's what's really um, rewarding um, to feel like you're talking to children who are then talking to their parents and who are influencing people that haven't thought about that. I know so many parents yeah. who say, well, of course I recycle, my kids make me. Yeah, you know? <laughs> which is great to hear, isn't it? And where it's labelled, oh, not buying anything on palm oil. I mean, some kids will literally read every ingredient on a label. Yeah. to see what's in it. And if it has something that they know is bad, they won't let their parents buy it. Which is great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really, really special. And what, what advice would you give children who want to grow up and work with animals or work with the environment and do things like that? Do you have any particular advice for them for, for how to go about that, how to get into that as they grow well, up? Well, I was 10 when I decided I would go to Africa and live with wild animals and write books about them. 
And that was going back like 70 years ago. Didn't happen in England that girls had those opportunities. So everybody laughed at me and said, Jane, dream about something you can achieve. What my mother said, if you really want something, you're going to have to work hard, take advantage of opportunity and never give up. Yeah. So basically I advise young people today, you know, you've got to really want to do it. It's hard because a lot of competition, there's not much money in it. Mm. So you've got to really, really want to do it. And then, you know, you may go and do a degree and go straight into some kind of research, but maybe you won't. But there's lots of opportunities for volunteering or for working like in you know, one of the good zoos or something like that. Yeah, to sort of just find find your places yeah. where you can <laughs> yes. volunteer. Volunteer, I think, is a hugely important thing, actually. Um, and even if you don't get straight to doing what you want to do, like I didn't, um, I, I had to do a secretarial course first. Didn't have money for university, and. Uh, but I still kept in the back of my mind, I will go to Africa. So when the opportunity came, it was a letter from a school friend inviting yeah. me to Kenya. So I had to work as a waitress to get there, to save up the money. And then I heard about the late Louis Leakey. And somebody said, if you're interested in animals, you should go and meet Louis. And because I'd learned so much about African animals from reading every book there was, and working in the Natural History Museum in London, visiting, sorry, mm. uh, in London, I could answer most of his questions. And although I just went to talk to him, I left with a job. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, the secretarial course was totally boring. It was nothing I wanted to do. But it happened when I met Lewis. His secretary had just left unexpectedly, mm. and he needed a secretary. So that, that was it. Just to the opportunity. So you never know, you know. Yeah. So you may not be able to go straight to where you want to go, but don't give up. Keep your keep your ears open for opportunities. Of course. Great. And now back to the studio. I hope you really enjoyed that episode of the Wild Voices Project podcast. And a huge thanks to Kate Snowden for sharing that interview with Jane Goodall with us. I don't think there's really much more to say other than catch you next time. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org on Twitter at wildvoicesproj or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much and until next time.